Spirit of 76. That's so many podcasts we've done, 76 of them. Every time I'm surprised that we made it one more. Hi, I'm George Tekbachev here with Steve the Anderson for another Easton Target Archery podcast. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Do we have more or less people listening now than, say, episode 26? I haven't looked at the analytics, but that's an excellent question. I, I think that, you know, for a long period of time there, it was growing, 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 growing. They see this curve, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we didn't do a very good job of um, continuity. Yeah, we didn't. We'd live long gaps. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, we had a hiatus from the podcast for a while. And, you know, most of the subscribers kind of went away at that time, or many. And then um, the curve started growing again. So the last time I looked, which was a couple weeks ago, the curve was on a growth rate again. So I, I really don't know how many people are listening. But I'll bet it's 12. Did you know we are launching the Easton Podcast Europe? No, tell me about it. Dean is going to do it. Dean Alberga. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And when is that going to start? I don't know. And is he going to be talking to shooters or what? Yeah, how's he, European people. I don't know. The European Eastern podcast. It, it'll it just be a different perspective on a lot of things. The and E-E-P. then we'll have like a mega podcast with uh-huh. the Europeans and us. We'll do a mega podcast somewhere. You indeed. And you. Well, if I'm around. We're all going to be doing the mega podcast uh-huh. at some point. <laughs> all right. That sounds interesting. Dean should be a lot of fun on a podcast. I mean, it's a, like I said, it's a different world over there. They think differently. They perceive things differently. They do you suppose a different that, market? Do you suppose he could have a podcast in one of the coffee bars in Amsterdam? I, I don't think they would care what you do. In Amsterdam. I mean, you know, if you were to go into a coffee bar, right? Finger quotes, and uh, you know, buy the guests some of the Amsterdam comestibles, <laughs> and then uh, you know, potato, see, yeah, fried potatoes with mayonnaise, for example. Start the podcast, then take a thirty-minute break, then restart the podcast. <laughs> okay. Hey, we've got our own stuff to cover, though, in the meantime, here in the American Eastern Target Archery Podcast. We're just the Eastern Target Archery Podcast. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, Indoor World Series um, registration is open. Did you see that? Nope. Yep. It has started the process of this whole uh, crazy uh, schedule. You thought it was crazy last year? Look out, because we've got Macau. We've got Luxembourg, we've got Rome, we've got Sydney, we've got Las Vegas, we've got Nîmes, and um, Nîmes is now open for registration. Uh, They opened up on the 15th of September. So uh, all of the series opens are are now, uh, all six events are are now open for entry. Uh, Vegas Shoot is the only one that goes through the Vegas Shoot entry all the other ones go through world archery's extra net so hmm. go to worldarchery.sport by the way that's their new url worldarchery.sport or worldarchery.org still works worldarchery.sport yeah they've got a new url worldarchery.sport and you can find all the info you need to uh, register for those first five events again vegas you've got to register through the vegas shoots official website which is thevegasshoot.com, thevegasshoot.com. I told Bruce it should be thefabulousvegasshoot.com, but I think that 
I got overruled. It's a lot of typing. It is a lot of typing. It's going to be a lot of... uh, A lot of typos. Typos. Yeah, I have to admit that's true. But, you know, I mean, it's fabulous Las Vegas, you know. I just went to worldarchery.sport. Yeah? I don't like typing that in. No, it's too long. It should be .com. .org. .org, I don't want that. .org makes me feel like they're going to ask me for a donation. (laughs) And they might. Uh, so, you know, that uh, that kind of dovetails into the fact that the whole rest of the calendar has been released for 2020. Have you had a look at it yet? No, um, have not. So, you know, it's hard to believe this is the fifth. Did they schedule the Olympics yet? Uh-huh. Yeah, that is scheduled. Uh-huh. The 15th season of the Archery World Cup is the 2020 season. 15 years of Archery World Cups. I can't believe it. Seems like only yesterday that I went to my first one which might have been in like Dover and met some of the exceptional people that you and I both know from that part of the world, kind of going crazy, stirring up the crowd, Andrea and uh, Vicky and, and that crowd. Mm. Remember those guys? And now they're, you know, integral parts of our sport. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a memorable one and everything after that. Dubai and Croatia and some fantastic places are in the past of the World Cup and some fantastic places are coming up ahead. Early start this year. Guatemala City. Guatemala will be the first one for stage one. And that'll be the 20th through the 26th of April. Then Shanghai, which is the old standby. Shanghai has been around for a majority of the World Cups, probably 12 of them. And that'll be uh, 4 through 10 May. Then you've got the third stage in Berlin, which is super important because the Berlin stage, which takes place 21 to 28 of June, is the last one before the Olympic Games. And it is the final qualifying tournament for the Olympic Games, stage three in Berlin. And you like that one, don't you, stage three? I mean, the Berlin stage? Berlin is a good one. Um, I, may, I may go to that one this year. Yeah, Berlin is good. Shanghai, I really like. And then you get your, uh, you know, you get your World Cup final TBD, yeah, which is TBD. I mean, where where do you think it'll end up? I wouldn't have thought Moscow, so who knows? I mean, it could be anywhere. Personally, I think Paris would be a great choice. It was in Paris not long ago. Yeah, but that you know, next Olympics will be in Paris. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to depend upon, you know, the host package. What you know, the bids are. Yeah, that's why they don't uh, choose it in advance. They. You know, they let people bid for it. I think if they opened it up, instead of eight participants, they did 12. And here's how you do that. Or even, I don't know, just even, uh, yeah, 12. Top four, get a buy. The other eight, battle it out, right? And then you're adding 16 archers, potentially 16 countries. Let's say you only get four more countries. Right. So you get, uh, you get, 16 more archers. If you've got four more countries, you're probably getting at least two coaches, eight more people. Now you're at 24 more people. It helps with the bid. That's always their issue. They don't have enough. It's not enough people to put on as large of an event as it needs to be. Yeah, and that's why they're talking about having World Archery Congress potentially as part of that as well because that would just about right. double the numbers I mean, or more, much, yeah. more, much more than that, triple. And then know. the other thought is just leave it in one place. Yeah, a recurring uh, like Lausanne. Do it in Lausanne. Do it at the World Archery Excellence Center. Do it at the World Archery Excellence Center. 
Speaking of which, did you see behind the scenes, there's been some changes at the World Archery Excellence Center. Uh, Toma Aubert is uh, moving into a new role. He's going to become the head of, of events and marketing. And our good friend, Fernando Suarez, is going to be doing the events and logistics. So two... Within World Archery? Within World Archery. So Fernando, who's, who's been doing a lot of the uh, logistical work for the last mm-hmm. couple of years, um, is going to be uh, in charge of, of handling that stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he'll be very good. He is very good at that. <clears throat> and um, I think that we'll see, uh, you know, uh, more dynamism in the office there because, uh, you know, uh, giving people a chance to do new things is always a good thing for an organization. So there have been a few changes. You, you heard about Pascal? Did you hear about what happened to Pascal? Pascal Colmer? No. So Pascal has been the head of development and education. Um, for example, he runs DTAC. He runs the Development Technical Committee. And uh, he was in Africa. He was in uh, Kampala in Uganda. And he got mugged and hurt very badly. So um, Pascal, um, you know, had uh, skull fractures and damaged eyesight. And he's been in a hospital in Switzerland now. And um, he's... Uh, recovering, but it's a slow recovery. He's not uh, not a young guy anymore. So, as a result, there have been some changes in the development department at World Archery. They've got uh, they got a uh, staff person who is uh, now in a full time role as a development project coordinator, who had been working part time at the World Archery Center. That's uh, Melanie, if anybody knows her, and um, she'll be responsible for all the Olympic solidarity stuff, coaching seminar at the center. And um, Carlos Freitas, who had been working with Pascal on the online training system, he'll be doing uh, education with the World Academy of Sport. And um, Cecile Tosetti is now in the office as the events coordinator. So she's going to work with both Thomas and Fernando to get stuff done. So they've got an expansion of the, uh, of the office there at World Archery, hmm. which is pretty good. European field took place... Uh, last week did you see that uh, i mean i knew it existed but i didn't uh i chose not to watch or follow any of it well the uh the final came down to our friends mike schlusser and domagach budin and it went down hammer and tong to the last arrow uh last target uh mikey had the advantage going into that last target and then domagach from croatia shot three perfect shots and came from behind a win which was Pretty impressive. That was in, uh, and I'm sure my friends from Slovenia will wince at my pronunciation, Mokric, Slovenia. It was a nice uh, event. Yeah, Toya Ellison uh, won in the women's compound, Brady's wife, Mm -hmm. which is uh, something she was super excited about. Our good friends, Jean-Charles Valadon, was the winner for men's recurve. And Lorena Villar was the winner for women's recurve and then Eric Esposito for Berbo and Cinzia Noziglia were the senior winners in Berbo. And so, um, you know, that's uh, a great event. If you saw the, uh, the venue, it looked a lot like a world championship venue. Obviously it's Europe, right? So you're dealing with a very, um, a very high level of participation and mm-hmm. interest. And, you know, people love field archery in Europe and, uh, 
This is actually um, Domagoc's second European field title in a row and the second consecutive time that the field archery championships have been held in Slovenia. So obviously it's not bad for him. They like their field archery there. Boy, they do. And um, three gold medals for Slovenia, Toya Allison's gold medal for compound women, and then a recurve junior man and a recurve junior men's team. And uh, speaking of the juniors, if you combine the medals, uh, juniors and seniors, Italy had the most medals, uh, gold medals. And uh, the kid that won the Youth World Archery Championship, Anders Fogstag, he won mm-hmm. the compound junior men. Yeah, he's just beating up on those juniors. Well, you know, that's up. That's an up-and-coming uh, piece of talent there. And then I saw on the Easton Facebook this uh, this week, you posted up about Kim Woo-jin. Yeah. Fantastic. Kim Woo-jin, another world record. 22-year-old yeah. world record. Yeah, that 50-meter world record, 352. 352, 50 meters, just like a compound face. Uh, but he did it in a 1440 round. So it's not like he was shooting a half and then got, you know, dialed in and shot another half right from the get-go. So, yeah. So, you know, here's the thing about that, that, that record is that record was set when he was five years old. Pretty old record. Yeah. And the, the, you know, the 50 meter record for some reason, I mean, if you look at the math, right? 50 meters is second only to 90 in terms of difficulty. Yeah. Because of the size of the target and the distance. Yeah. 90 is way harder. 50. Well, now that's, uh, Mathematically, yes, but there's a greater wind component at 70. Oh, yeah, you're right. But, I mean, when you're talking a world record type score, usually wind is not much of a factor. The wind is still going to push the shooter some, too. Mm-hmm. So. But, yeah, um, you know, so Kim shot a 352 out of a possible 360. My personal best at 50 is a 342. I can't imagine how he got those other 10 points. He shot another arrow. Yeah. Maybe shot 37 arrows. Yeah. He shot another arrow. That's that's the equivalent of shooting another arrow <laughs> to my personal best score at 50 meters. Yeah. And, you know, that 342 that I shot years ago. You had to feel pretty good about. I did because it was the high score at Nationals that year. You'd still feel that, good about for that it distance. today. Sure. Even if you shot it. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get me Jane, wrong. Like I, I remember one time, you know, in Japan, um, where, as you know, I, I travel fairly often to do seminars and stuff. Um, in order to shoot at certain ranges, you have to have a license. And the licensing procedure is a 50-meter round, and you have to hit a certain score. And it doesn't matter. You walk in there, you got your 1,300 feet of pin on your quiver, they don't care. You're Hiroshi Yamamoto, and you walk in there, they don't care. You got to get a license. You got to get the license. It's like if Mario Andretti came to the U.S. and tried to rent a car. They'd be saying, show us your license. Show us your license. Mario Andretti. Yeah. Like, we don't care. Right. Right. Or anywhere. Right. Try to rent a car anywhere. Right. I mean, you know. So, the the, I I had a limited amount of time to get this done. So, I shot a 50-meter round in about 40 minutes. That's a lot. Just cranking through. That's cranking through, right? You got a you got a three forty two. Did they give you a better license than some, like a commercial? No, no, I didn't license? get a three forty. This my three forty two was at U.S. Oh, okay. Nationals. Yeah, this score, I shot like a three eighteen because I shanked one. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it was good enough for your licensing right? oh yeah you had to break 300 so it was good enough so on the did they put like an exception on the back of your license like no driving at night no 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 nothing must no, be wearing eyeglasses no uh limitations right yeah yeah i had my m endorsement on there right for motorcycle right? yeah yeah no that didn't happen but yeah, it was funny because, I mean, they made a point to say, yeah, even Yamamoto sensei had to take the license test. So no exceptions. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Hmm. But yeah, you know, if you look at the previous score, 351 goes back to 1997. Who shot it? It was another Korean, Kim Hyung Ho. And hmm. um, I mean, I assumed he was using X10s. At oh, that yeah. Point. You know, he was definitely using X10s. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he said he thought it was lucky because he got many more tens than he expected during the competition. So, you know what this means? It means he's got three world records right now. Kim Woo-jin. I guess he's just getting it then. The only one he doesn't have is the one Brady has. And he had that one before. The, he lost the 72 arrow 70 meter ranking round record earlier this year when Brady shot that 702 at the Pan Am games in Peru. And uh, Kim Woo-jin is currently the number two ranked recurve man in the world. And he is behind Brady Ellison, who's the reigning national or world champion right now. So pretty, pretty cool. That happened at the uh, National Sports Festival in um, Yichon, Korea. And speaking of sports festivals, shout out and congratulations to our good friend Takahara Furukawa, who just took his second consecutive National Sports Festival title in Japan with his X-10s and his contour stabilizers in the pretty strong wind that they had there. And my good friend Kikuchi Hideki took second place, so he's back and rocking. He, uh, he'd been off the national team for a couple of consecutive years, and now he's back just in time for the Olympic selection process taking place in the next few weeks as the home country for the next Olympic Games picks its next team. Well, yeah, they're going to get started. I uh, saw today that the first archer entered or selected yep. is Maya Yager. Yep, yep. Maya. And um, she, as a result, uh, has the distinction of being the first person to know for sure that they're going to shoot in Tokyo. So they just say like, hey, you're, you're, I mean, that's the first one announced. You never know with some of these countries. They might've said, if you earn the spot, you get the spot, but they just don't. That's correct. They don't announce that. it. So, there, there might be some countries like that. I'm not sure, though, because if you look at it so far, um, a lot of countries that were expected to have earned spots at places like the World Championships didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that there's opportunity there. But, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, knowing for sure, okay, I'm, I'm in. I've got it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go. And I think for Maya's purposes, that'll, that'll give her a – uh, a good advantage from the standpoint of um, just being mentally there, you know. Maya, another X10 shooter, she's uh, going to be one of 64 women to shoot for the Olympic title in Tokyo. Um, and that uh, that announcement came today, I guess, from the Danish Archery Federation, Archery Denmark, mm-hmm. and the Olympic Committee in Denmark. Um, Maya qualified Denmark a place of the Games at the World Championships in June. So that might be an example for that might be exactly what you're talking about there, Steve. Where she she got the spot, she qualified the spot. They, they just, gave it to her. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she's usually she, she's been head and shoulders above everyone else in Denmark. They might just say, yeah. okay, you you know, if we want to have a chance, let's go ahead and send the 2013 world champion. Yep. 
And by the way, this won't be her first time at the rodeo. She shot at the London Olympic Games back in 2012. Mm. She didn't make the team for, or she didn't make it to the Rio Olympics, but she did shoot um, at the London Olympic Games. If you want to go to the Olympics a lot, archery or any of the shooting sports, those are the sports for you. You know? Well, I won't dispute that. I mean, you know, I mean, compared to, look, here's the thing. The beautiful thing about archery, and I'll, I'll go one step further. I'll say the beautiful thing about compound archery is it's a great equalizer. It is a great equalizer because you could have a, in theory, some five foot two, 17 year old beat you. Yes. Potentially. I'm just saying, you know, if they've got the mental game. Because the physical aspect is not as important. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want proof? Look at Stefan Hansen. I mean, you know. Are you calling him a frail young man? No, I'm just saying. Let's let's say that you and Stefan were in an MMA octagon. Actually, Bridger Deaton wanted to fight me in UFC style. Well, Bridger's kind of like a Wolverine, so I'd be careful about Bridger. No, I I wouldn't be careful. I'd just probably punch him. <laughs> But you understand my point. It's an equalizer. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, you know, archery, it's not necessarily how fast you are or, or even really how strong you are. Nope. Or how much fast twitch muscle versus slow twitch and all that stuff. Um, you need reasonable eye-hand coordination. That's useful to have. You need reasonable balance. That's good to have. But when you look at it from the general overall, you know, ability thing, yeah, you're right. You got a point. You're, something in Jim Easton's office here has caught your eye. Yeah. Tell but, me. Uh, we'll get to it later. But, um, you know, I was looking at like uh, the shooting sports. I think it's Kim Rohde, shotgun shooter. Kim Rohde, yeah. She's already been in six or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's probably going to be in this one too. Sure, she will. That's like, you're, <laughs> you know, you're talking three decades of Olympics. You know, they've got some like 7,000 kids shooting the style of shotgun that Kim Rohde shoots in Minnesota. They've got a program there for this. It's like NASP for shotgun. But it's, what does she shoot? Uh, skeet or does she shoot bunker trap? She shoots trap. Huh. I'm sure she shoots some skeet, but she, she she's a trap shooter. Hmm. I'm going to look her up. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. She's got a heck of a competitive record. Kim Rohde from the United States. She started competing. I thought she was at the, uh, wasn't she at the 84 games? Anyway, long, long way back. Maybe she started in Barcelona. Just like me. <laughs> she wasn't at the 84 games because she was five years old. Okay, then. well, there you go. She would have been exceptionally talented. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, let me see here. So her first Olympics was 96. She must have been about 17. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. 16 or 17, just depending on. So that exactly means she's done every Olympics since 96. She has medaled. At every Olympics since 96. She's sort of the Daryl Pace of shotgun. 96 gold, 2000 bronze. She shoots trap and skeet. It's 96 gold, 2000 bronze, 2004 gold, 2008 silver, 2012 gold, and 2016 bronze. Let's drag this kicking and screaming back to archery for a second. 
Do you know that that means that there's 290 days between now and the Berlin final qualifying tournament? 290 days. It feels like there's less. It does. But that is uh, 290 days for every country to try to get full teams qualified, including Denmark, which just because Maya is in there doesn't mean they have a team. They've just got one woman in there right now. Mm-hmm. So, is there any potential to qualify mixed teams again? I think there might be some individual opportunities at the European Championship in Antalya for the men to add an individual quota, and that would be a mixed team for Denmark. So there's your answer. European Championship in Antalya next May, where I'll be going, um, has the Danish men having the opportunity to add an individual. And if that happens, then they've got a mixed team. Hmm. And then worldwide, nations will have a shot at one of three full team invitations at the FQT. That's the only other way to qualify. Yeah, the mixed team thing kind of threw a wrench in the system. Oh, well, as Tom Dillon explained to us in the last podcast, podcast number 75, folks, if you haven't heard Tom Dillon explain it, there's a pretty good explanation as as authoritative a one as you're going to get from Tom as to how this whole system works. Um, yeah, make your point you were saying. I don't know. Is there? I don't even know if there was a limited amount of mixed teams. I don't know. I I don't I don't recall if there was a limit a limit. I thought that I mean there will probably be a cut if they have beyond a certain number of teams. Right, but it could end up being a wide number of mixed teams. I well, guess. in theory, you could have sixty four <clears throat> mixed teams. I mean, thirty two in a real no, but in a really weird scenario. Oh yeah, sixty four. Right? Yeah, where each country only had one shooter at the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have 64 mixed teams, theoretically. Of course, that would never happen because you got countries with multiple slots, but that's, you know. How many minutes in are we? Not enough for you to, to uh, terminate the show early. I think everyone has just quit listening. Okay. I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've gone on about mixed team and this and that and Kim Rohde and, yeah. I was, what did you see over there that caught your interest so much? Over? You know, I saw that. Let me let me set the tableau. We're in Jim Easton's suite here at the Easton Archery Center in Salt Lake City, which is a reasonable facsimile. Truth is, it doesn't even come close. Reasonable facsimile to Jim Easton's office in Van Nuys, California at our corporate headquarters back in the day. So what I'm looking at this thing, a sporting goods industry hall of fame. Oh, yeah. And it says James, quote, Doug, quote, that's Easton. That's Doug Easton's Sporting Goods Hall of Fame thingy so, right there. So Doug's first name was was James. was James. And then James, James D. Easton, as in Jazz D. Easton, right. as in the company name. What does Jazz stand for? Jace, James. It's short for James. Mm. It's a formal um, short for James. So what was Jim Easton's middle name? Leland. Okay. Now it makes sense. James I, L. Easton. I thought like 1978, this seems like a little early for Jim. Yeah. And it was. Correct. Thing for Doug. If you look up there at the um, IOC passport of Jim Easton from the 88 Olympic Games, he's got, his, he got his full name and Leland. everything up there. Yeah, those are sweet. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it all makes sense now. Sure. But, you know, sometimes I wonder what it is that that makes somebody great right it's that drive to do stuff that nobody else ever thought of 
when Jim Easton was younger than 23, I think, he was working on the item you see there on the top shelf, the lunar seismometer. See that up there? Yeah, doing what? That's the device that took readings of vibrations on the moon. He built that. Hmm. And, you know, he's the one that wanted the company to make stuff other than just tubes. Baseball bats, hockey sticks, golf clubs, ski poles. Actually, ski poles was his brother, Bob. Uh, bicycle tubing, aerospace stuff. I mean, you know, the kind of the kind of visionary that a big picture kind of guy, you know. So there's a a photo of him right there. This is every engineering photo ever. Yeah. If you want to look like an engineering guy, you either put on a lab coat and look over a clipboard, or you hold a micrometer. In which case, he's doing that with a. Baseball let me, bat. Let me let me set the stage for Who's the Who's that guy with him? That is Joe Johnston. President of Hoyt later on. Correct, President of Hoyt later on. The glasses he's wearing, we still have those. They're up by the engineering lab. They're the safety glasses for cutting arrows. So that photo of Jim and Joe is a quintessential We need to post this photo. So yeah, okay. You go ahead and take a picture of it and post it up on Facebook when you get a chance later. I got this. I know you do. I thought you got a new iPhone. Nope. I'm looking at your phone here. You got a new case for it, but you didn't get it's a new phone. got a new case, yeah. No. Oh. I got the I got the scary Pro. The one that makes people scared of the Oh, it's got too many cameras. It scares me and frightens me and confuses me. It's like a thing from War of the Worlds or something. No, it's not. Actually, it's a very good camera though. I can show you some pictures I took in the dark. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Really really good. Anyhow, about this photo of Joe Johnston. Yeah. What about it? Well, I mean, look at it. You see how Jim's dressed there with the white shirt and the black tie? We all dressed like that in Van Nuys. All of us engineers in Van Nuys had white shirts and black ties and a pocket full of pens like you also see up there. Okay. We all had calipers like the one that Jim has. I'll bet you dollars to donuts. That's a set of Mitotoyo calipers. That's one of the big famous B5 bats right there. That's a famous green B5 bat. One of the original Easton bats. Okay. Super high performance bat. But of course it's a staged photo. <laughs> I mean, you don't think that you don't think that they spent their days in the office with a set of calipers looking at bats, do you? Actually, they did to some degree. Jim did do that. Now I'll show you something else that's interesting. Look over your left shoulder. You see that award to James L. Easton? Yeah. Appreciation for how many years does it say? I can't quite make this it This is out. a terrible podcast for the listener. Yeah, I know. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and they're getting their every penny's worth. You see that little baseball bat crossed with the hockey stick up on that thing? Yeah, I do. That baseball bat is made to actual bat specs from the standpoint of balance, wall thickness, and everything else. It is an actual bat. Small bat. Only it's a foot and a half long. I went and tapped it. It felt like a small bat. Well, and because it has the exact same balance and relative proportions as a real bat. I was looking for a small ball to throw at it. You could have a game of t-ball with the micro-sized baseball bat. I don't know if you know this, but uh, I was all Salt Lake City League in slow-pitch softball. Really? No, yes. I didn't know that. Yes. First team. 
first team. All Salt Lake City League. Yeah. So Jim got an award for an anniversary for his bats, and I got an award for How many years does that say on there? Can you make hitting it dingers with his bats. How many years does that say? 40 years. 40 years. And that goes back probably, that's probably 20 years old, that thing. Yeah. Anyway. All right. We got the Easton Sales Conference coming up soon. You ready for that? Yeah, I don't really care. You got you got new stuff. <laughs> it's already it's not new to me. Anymore. It's not new to you anymore. Yeah. No, it's not even. We've already released everything that the podcast listeners care about. This is true. There's other stuff, so, but the podcast listeners pretty much know everything that we've we've released. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I don't get excited for sales meeting. Um, I uh, I just don't. Do you think it's better at a bow company for this kind of thing? Undoubtedly. Well, I mean, even then sales meetings are, they're like 15% excitement. It's not fun when you work at the company. You've already been seeing this stuff for months, sometimes years. This is true. So some of this stuff, by the way, you know, it just doesn't come out of a drawer, you know, five, six years of development on one of the items mm -hmm. that, uh, that came out this year. Right. So you end up, you know, you have to explain things to people. A lot of times the sales guys don't listen very well. And then they ask a stupid question later on. You're like, Hey, we answered that. Come hey, on. you know what though? I just remembered there's going to be a product that the uh, podcast listeners are going to like. Which one is that? Let's release it right here. No, I don't think we should. I think we might get in trouble for that, but there is, there's a, there's definitely Hold on. Yeah, that. Yeah. There's See? there's two then. I there's have two another, items. I have another item in my head. Okay, so there's two items. But we won't actually release that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. ATA show. All right. I got to go to Houston next week for this um, NAA. Sorry, I keep saying NAA. Old school. USA Archery, Archery Coaching Archers Symposium thingy in Houston. Did you hear about that? Yeah. What do... Uh, I have no idea what, what I'm going to talk about. I, you know what I think I'm going to do? Because I think I'm scheduled to speak for half an hour. What am I going to do? I'm not going to go up there and tell them about, go buy this. You know, A, that's not my style. And two, they don't want that kind of thing. And C, <laughs> see what I did there? A, two, and D is uh, work the with home me. alone version of okay, that. Okay, work with me. Anyways, the point is I think I'll just take questions. Well, I mean, I'd probably have some type of a statement prepared to get them. Oh yeah, into I'll, the I'll have a I'll have a statement prepared. I'll I mean, definitely have a statement. Thirty minutes is virtually nothing. Correct. So, what do they want you to be talking about? Well, they Arrows? didn't. They just want us to talk Archery? about our stuff. I would just. I don't know what I would even do. I don't. I don't know, know if I'd do. want to attend a symposium to be given information that I could just look up on the internet. So I think it's going to be. That's. It's going to be stuff that you don't know. You know, it's going to be answering questions. Don't you think? Yeah, I would just. I would just knock out some misconceptions and stuff that people. Like you write some great blogs that are that have great information. People don't read them. True. People do, but the majority of people don't because the majority of people just choose to remain uninformed. No, the vast majority of people never have looked at... If you don't cram it down their cranium, they're never going to learn it. Well, and there's part of that, right? Of course, that goes both ways. I mean, we need to make that stuff easy for people to find and easy for people to understand. But the reality is 
the reality is that there is a good lot of good information out there and people just don't tap into it. You want proof? Look at any page on Archery Talk. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, I mean, that's it's that way for everything, though, not just archery. People are, by all means, very uninformed about no, most everything. No, you're right. You know, I, I, I would say that uh, when I look at the stuff that I'm into as a hobby, you know, riding motorcycles or shooting uh, firearms as examples, yeah, yeah, some of it, yeah. Most people don't know. They call, you know, they're like, oh, I get on this motorcycle, I twist this twisty thing. You're like, it's called the throttle, you know. No, a lot of people don't know, you know, and, and to their peril. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, you're at the coaching symposium. I've heard some bizarre stuff out of coaches, bizarre stuff that I'm like, you know. For example. Maybe you shouldn't be the coach. Um, well, I was at a, an event once where a coach decided his athlete was really struggling, and the coach decided that, he needed to start smoking because that's what the Korean coaches do. What? So he's like, maybe I should start smoking. So this wasn't an American coach. Right. No, it was an American coach. Right. Get yeah, out. It was, it was American coach. He decided maybe I need to start smoking like the Korean coaches. Wait, he wait, wait. Like he goes, halfway. pulls out a pack of cigarettes or something or <laughs> he didn't have any, um, you know, I think he was halfway joking, but he was obviously reflecting about, like, hey, my my athlete just had the worst performance, an uncharacteristically bad performance, not just have a bad day. Like something broke down here, and it's probably my fault as a coach. So he was looking inward at whatever he could find. You know, find that guy. Find, find him and be like, hey, if you're trying – and here's the thing that I saw. He was trying to do stuff with his athlete that was like revolutionary, right? In his mind, he was trying to have all these new coaching techniques and – new equipment setup techniques. And I'm like, maybe you should do what the best in the world do because there's a reason they do what they do, right? If you're going, I mean, I get it. Everyone has their unique style and form and all that. But if you're going so hard against the grain on purpose just to try to be the guy who's different, you're probably not going to find success. No, I, I, I won't dispute that at all. I've tried and true matters in places that are completely objective scorecards are objective yeah right you want to try something radical in a judged sport maybe you might get something someday that actually does something for you but you do this in a sport where you measure stuff right you better stick with certain aspects of things that are proven true yep and this uh this particular coach had, had contacted me prior said hey i want to do this and i said i think that's a bad idea with a setup right so I think that's a really bad idea. He went, oh, no, what do you know? I'm like, well, why'd you call me then? Yeah, really? I mean, what's so, that about? So then he went ahead with it, with this equipment setup, which failed epically, and then just destroyed the confidence of his archer. And his archer ended up, you know, completely falling off the wagon. See, you know, I, I get concerned when I see a coach that wants to change a bunch of stuff at an event. If they haven't been working on it in advance and they're not prepared mentally to deal with what's mm -hmm. going with that, that's that's the recipe for trouble. Yeah. My opinion. Coaching's hard, you know, especially archery coaching. There's no real there's no real uh formula for it. We're not running any there's no strategy. You know, like in football and basketball, there's strategy with what you do with your players. And you can take lesser players and have a better strategy 
and have a winning outcome. In archery, you can't go, okay, we're not as good as that guy. So we're going to try to shoot nines on the left side or something, you know, something like that. There's no, so it's all about just preparing them to have their best performance that they can have. That's exactly right. You can't, you can't try to get, you know, you can't try to squeeze something that doesn't have the juice. You know, I think that there's multiple roles that a coach can have and, and it can be different coaches have these roles individually or, it can be that these coaches um, can incorporate aspects of these roles. One of them is to be a friend and a mentor to the shooter to put them in their happy place so they can perform. Yeah. I think that's really important. And with uh, with a number of – it's like being a player's coach. You know, if you have the players, let them be. Exactly. If you have an archer who's fairly talented, understands what they're doing, understands their whole approach to it, just be that guy right? or right. girl. Just be the the players coach. Get them be helpful. Get them in a good mood. Make sure they're ready to compete. Absolutely. And then the other the other type of coach is more of a manager. You know, it's the one that takes care of making sure that the athletes where they're supposed to be on time and and gives them the information that they need so they're mentally prepared for you know getting up at four in the morning if they have to and you know make sure that their equipment is where it should be when it should be and and you know, they're staying hydrated and you know it's that. It's that manager job, right? And sometimes they blend. Yeah, sometimes the first coach and the second coach, I think, are one and the same. Can be, right? Some people, though, they, they just want to be the manager, and some people just want to be the buddy, and they're not necessarily effective at doing the management stuff. The best coaches have a balance there. Mm-hmm. And then your third coach, they, they like to tinker. They like the to tinker either. Coach. Well, yeah, but when you say mechanical, I'm thinking – Yes, there's the aspect of working on the bow and stuff, but there's also the aspect of messing with the shooter. Yeah, mechanically, like with the shooter's mechanics. Yeah, but so yeah. you and I are on the same page here. Yeah. It's, um, it's very clear to me that there's elements of some coaches that drive very hard toward, I want to change this person. I want to put my mark on what they're doing so that people can see that I get credit for their achievements. Yeah. There's some of that. Felt like that's what this guy was. That's what I was driving at. That's why I brought mm-hmm. that up. Now, all not all coaches who do that have that motivation in mind, but some do. Yeah, I don't know. I, I try to, th- I mean, I've been lucky to be a player in team sports my whole life, and I've had some really good coaches. I've had some coaches that were probably not so good, and, you know, some of them, I would say the best ones, were able to be reactive depending on who they were working with. And the, one of the best coaches I ever had was more of just a guy who made sure we understood his expectations of us. He was a basketball coach and it wasn't, I had coaches who had to teach kids how to teach players, how to work hard, right? I'm going to go and make sure you understand how to play hard. And this guy, it was an expectation that you would play hard. And we all would totally sell out for him. We would have, we were on the floor, you know, whatever we needed to do. We'd give up the body. We'd hit the deck, you know. That, for that guy, it was, it was completely different. I don't know what it was about it. I think he understood that it was for a traveling team I was on. We had a talented team. And he understood. Was this track and field or basketball? It was basketball. <clears throat> he understood that, uh, you know, we didn't need to be yelled at to play defense. We, he just said, play it, do it for your yourself and your teammates. You know, I'm not, 
I'm not here to have to make you, you know, yell at you to play hard. If you haven't figured that out, you probably shouldn't be here. So he was one of the best I ever had. But looking at individual sports, the best coaches I ever had were the ones who – he was a track coach. He was he was pretty good at teaching you – well, getting you in, a, in the correct place mentally. You know, he, he, he would set my workouts and all that too. Um, and that was great. But then he would say, you know, if you had a little nerves before a race or whatever, he'd say, hey, you're – you're ready because of everything you've done. You know, one time I remember him saying, it's not a question if you're going to win, it's just how, by how much. You know, stuff like that. He would kind of get you loose. So where you, you weren't, you didn't have that fear of failure. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that is the most you can hope for, right, is a coach that understands you well enough to give you the tools you need to put you mentally where you need to be to perform. That's fundamental to the job. It's like uh, working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. They give you the tools to be your own boss. Is that an ad campaign? Is that what is that what that is? Just trying to get a little uh, revenue off this podcast. Uh-huh. No, hey, it's a quote from a movie. You know, I, I was uh, listening to a podcast, and the podcaster, at the end of the podcast, he has a... Um, Darn, I forgot what it's called. Is it a, it's not GoFundMe. It's a Patreon or something like that, right? And he asks for a dollar from each listener. That would actually, yeah. you know, that would be pretty cool if we could get away with asking for a dollar from each listener. <laughs> I don't think we have a listener to ask right now. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> like, right? how, how far are we into this? We're, we're pretty well done. I mean. For this episode. Episode. This happens to us a lot. And then you know what? Here's what happened here. We went 80% of the time. I didn't really have any meat on the bone. I had nothing good. And then we got into it. And for like 1% of the thing, I was like, oh, here we go. And then I fell apart again. I just didn't have it today. Some you, days uh, you just don't. You, you're not a coffee drinker. Nope. That might be part of the key here. I think uh, right now my mind has just been everywhere. You know, finishing up the house like this week. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. How's the, how's the Easton or sorry, how's the Anderson Archery Center coming along? Be done, I think, tomorrow. Wow. So by the time people listen to this, I'll probably be moved in. But, wow. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so I got that, you know, trying to do a lot of other stuff, I'm trying to get a little video of the new Hoyt Invicta made, some good information for people. I have, and it's like Ron Swanson. If you ever watch Parks and Rec with Ron Swanson, it's Nick Offerman. It's his character. He says, he said, I'm just going to use the words. He says, never half two things, whole ass one thing. So we might need to bleep that out. But uh, so mark where we are. Let's note where we are. Yeah, you're at uh, 4653. Okay. Yeah. 653. Uh-huh. So I think right now I'm just I haven't hold I haven't hold anything. So you're you're concerned that that phrase that turn of phrase you just generated may be a problem. Like I'm not good at I'm not good at any one thing right now. I'm just mediocre at everything. And yet your mediocre is good enough to win a world championship. Well, I was pretty good that day. But, you know, I'd been in Ireland for 
10 days at that point. That's all I had done was archery for 10 days. Give me 10 days with archery. I'm going to be pretty good by the end of it. So you've had a lot going on. A lot going on. I just got back from uh, three days in Arizona. Yeah, you were shooting some weapons, huh? Shooting I was. I was. I was. I was at a gun competition. I actually did okay for myself. What does that mean? Well, there were about three hundred shooters, and I finished twenty fifth. All right, That's which pretty good top ten Yeah, and considering how little practice I've had, and right, you know, the fact that I'm not the youngest guy there, and which all weapon that. did you use? The Sig Sauer. P5 or X5, excuse me. Six hour P5. No, the standard one. Oh, man. Where do you think you would have finished if you had the tungsten powder grip? It would have slowed me down on some of the stages. Well, it's maybe true. It weighs more. Maybe true. Hmm. Yep. You have to use the right tool for the right job. That's, That's a fact. Yeah. 11 stages of action pistol fun. It would be fun, I think. I'm not very good at shooting a pistol. But. Well, you, you get better with practice. If I wanted to be better, I'd be better, I think. But, you know, running in the desert and shooting at targets <laughs> and stuff is uh, is an interesting thing that you don't normally get to do. <sighs> Should we even put this podcast out? <laughs> <laughs> How about we put it out of its misery? Yeah. <laughs>